listening to the Animation Addicts Podcast with the Rotoscopers, episode 200, Soul. Insert jazz music here. Welcome to the Animation Addicts Podcast with the Rotoscopers, the number one place to get your animation fix with animation addicts just like you. Each episode, we dive into the wonderful world of animation featuring Disney, DreamWorks, Pixar, and everything in between. From hilarious discussions and movie reviews to interviews with industry insiders, this show's mission is to brighten your day through our love of animation. So hop on your nerdy couch, grab some snacks, and get ready to hang out with your animation besties because it's time to dive into today's episode. Hey there, animation addicts. I'm your host, Morgan Stradling. And I am Chelsea Robson. And this is our 200th episode. Woo-hoo! Boy, howdy. Look at us go. Can you believe it? 200 episodes. We've really been through a lot together. (laughs) This is... Wow. I mean, here's the thing. We only do this every other week. Or at least up until this season, we only ever did this every other week. And so it... if we were doing this like on a weekly thing, there'd be a whole lot more episodes. But also if you were to count like all the YouTube videos we've done and oh, yes. all of the other oh, random yes. like things that we've done over the years, it's like, holy crap, there's a lot of stuff. But yes. for the Animation Addicts flagship podcast to reach 200 episodes is kind of a big deal. Yes, it is. I think back to our, the other big milestone was our hundredth episode. And that was our Roto-Rama episode where the three of us. Roto-Rama. Roto-Rama. <laughs> get that inside <laughs> joke. The three of us, Chelsea, Morgan, and Mason. Mason was one of our co-hosts for a long time for basically five years on the podcast. We actually got together and recorded a whole bunch of episodes and that episode in particular in person. And that was the first time that all three of us had been together in the same room and the first time that Chelsea and Mason had actually met. So that is a fun throwback. If you want to go listen to that, go to rotoscopers.com slash 100. But as far as 200 episodes, it's crazy. We're going into our ninth season of the podcast and I can just think back and there's very specific kind of uh, like eras of the podcast. I, I mm-hmm. think that there's like the first 50 or so episodes or even the first 30, which is kind of like the first yeah. year, you know, those ones were just really, really fun. Great episodes, not necessarily the best sound quality. And I will admit uh, <laughs> the, the sound quality for the, the podcast was not great for a good chunk of the a podcast long time. I don't know why it took us so long to realize that, Hey, instead of just recording the audio that comes from Skype that has to travel over the internet and it's not the best quality, why don't we all just record our own audio Uh, on our own computers, which is super crisp, clean, amazing, and then put it together in post. Oh, the things that you learn as a podcaster. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, there's, there's millions of ways to do things and we've gone through them all, I feel like, but it's just (laughs) funny how, as you're talking about like every era of the podcast, like every year kind of was its own thing. I have very, you talk about a specific movie and I will go back and I will know exactly what I was doing when we were reviewing that mm-hmm, based mm-hmm. on the wall that I was looking at while <laughs> editing. <laughs> oh, like, I love it. This is a thing. <laughs> like, oh yeah, I was in that house because I was looking at that chair at the time. <laughs> like, yes. Oh man. And Chelsea really is the unsung hero of the podcast because she does edit the podcast and has edited primarily majority of the episodes. So 
we just need to give a huge bow to her. There's a website called buy me a coffee. We need to set up (laughs) rotoscopers.com slash buy Chelsea a coffee and throw her a a coffee or a, a hot chocolate or whatever. Hot apple spice is my thing right there. Throw a few bucks her way to say thank you. Thank you for for doing that (laughs) because it's a lot of work and I don't tell her enough how much I appreciate and love you for for editing the podcast and doing all of that over the past 200 episodes. But our uh, amazing roto fest as far as 200 episodes, maybe for one of our nerdy couch discussions, we can go back through the archives and talk about the different eras of the podcast. That'd be fun to do. We can do that on one of our nerdy couch discussion episodes in the future. So if you're interested in that, be sure to let us know in the show notes of this episode, rotoscopers.com slash 200 or on the Instagram page that we post for this episode. So yes, yes. But without further ado, I am really, really excited to talk about this episode today because it is a Pixar film. And we all know that Pixar is Pixar, which is incredible. All of their stuff is Tip top shape. It's the best. And Soul is their newest release that came out in 2020. So don't go anywhere because we're going to dive right into it. the general information of this movie some of this information can be found on box office mojo imdb wikipedia and bonus materials where available morgan will be pulling out some bonus materials from the art book of, mm-hmm. of soul so i'm excited to hear about that the studio was pixar animation studios the directors were pete doctor and mike jones the release date was december 25th 2020 this was actually after having been pushed at least once yes initially it was supposed to be released on june 19th 2020 and then it was pushed to november 20th 2020 which was raya and the last dragon spot and then it was pushed ultimately to its final release date christmas day 2020 yep 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 yep. and then the budget was a whopping 150 million dollars and pixar box office no they aren't um the box office was 134.8, so about 20 mil below its budget. Right. So it did not which release in- is pandemic worthy. <laughs> hey, I'll take $135 million cash during a pandemic. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> so it was not released in the United States. It was released in about 10 or so other countries where it did relatively well. So those com- countries had opened up. So $135 million. That's pretty darn well for the pandemic, like we said, based on a budget of 150 million. But the big news here, which I think we should lead off with, and this kind of goes with the discussion that we had last week's Nerdy Couch discussion, talking about how the pandemic and streaming churches, streaming services have really changed the game, but also with Raya and the Last Dragon and how Disney released that one as on Disney Plus as Premier Access. Before we really dive into reviewing this film, which is incredible, and I have lots to say on it, let's just do a little teensy little bit about the premier access. We talked about it in last episode. You should definitely check that out. Rotoscopers.com slash one nine nine. But Mulan was the first film on Disney plus, which they released to Disney plus exclusively, but you had to pay this premier access fee, which was $30. So people expected when soul was going to come out, you know, when they finally decided, okay, it's not going to go into theaters. We're going to put it on Disney plus. Everyone sort of assumes that it likewise would do the same thing. 
but they didn't. They just released it on Christmas Day. Anyone could access it. And then Raya the Last Dragon, they went back to the Premier Access model. And I think it's really interesting because I kind of assumed, oh, maybe the Premier Access was just a bad thing. It was just too expensive for most people and no one paid it. So that's why they wanted to do soul for quote free. I mean, you still have to pay your, your monthly dues, but, um, and, but apparently not, uh, they went back and they did it for Raya. So I, I don't really know the rhyme or reason why they decided to do one film versus the other, but I just think it's interesting to note that there doesn't seem to be just a test. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. We, we shall see, but it's interesting because I think in last week's episode, I mentioned like, there's no way for them to tell if a movie does well or not. Um, and that isn't necessarily true. I, as I was reading up on this film and how it did, apparently the audience viewership for these streaming services, it is tracked by Nielsen, which makes sense because if you're familiar with Nielsen, the way that Nielsen works is people who sign up and are part of the Nielsen program. And they have basically set top boxes that track all of their viewing habits. And it's a big Mm -hmm. enough of a sample size that they're able to determine what, uh, the, the grand entire population is doing based on this sample. Right. And they have thousands of people who have these. And I guess I just assumed they weren't doing that for streaming, but Nielsen does report streaming numbers as well. And they're able to extrapolate how much as a whole, the greater population is doing. So, so they were able to determine that soul was one of the bigger, more popular straight to streaming titles of the year. Uh, it was right below the Hamilton release that they put on Disney Plus and right underneath Wonder Woman 1984, which also came out on the exact same day. So it said that the film, as from December 21st to December 27th, so that week that it was released, 1.669 billion minutes of watch time, making it the number one streaming title that week. And yeah, one point, basically 1.7 billion minutes of watch time. I think that's a really interesting metric on how to how they're tracking this. It's not just, did you watch the show? Yes or no. It's how many minutes of the show was watched. Um, maybe Uh people only watch 30 minutes or maybe they watch the whole thing. So I just thought that was an interesting way that they, 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 they're being very, very granular in tracking that. So enough of that. I know we've been talking about the streaming forever, right? Uh, well, I just wanted to say one quick thing is they do track everything that you watch on there, because even though it is streaming, like you're, the people who have music in these songs, like they still get, have to get paid. So if you are watching a movie that has somebody's random song in the, mm-hmm. like in it, then they are profiting from that person's work. So they have to pay that person. So you yeah, would get I'm, a royalty. I'm assuming that the studios are tracking it. They would be very silly not to track their own numbers and therefore pay out right. as needed. But I kind of just assume that they didn't have to publicly report the numbers oh, and they, yeah, pub- they they wouldn't if it was a bomb which they aren't doing but it seems like nielsen is kind of getting around that so we can kind of see whether it's bombing or not through these nielsen ratings so interesting so let's talk about this movie so soul this movie first we're going to talk about our our main thoughts and and in previous versions of the podcast we had something called mason's theater report where basically Mason would go to the theater and he would share his stories from his viewing experience because there were always toddlers and children and screaming and, and people talking during the movie. And it was just hilarious, right? Well, in the days of no theaters, uh, viewing experiences are much different. However, I still think we can kind of talk about our initial thoughts and how our experience was, uh, watching this before we get into the film. I didn't actually see this when it first came out. I guess I was just kind of like trying to step away from TV in general at that time. 
Um, so yeah, I didn't really, I didn't watch it until this was the first time I, I actually sat down and watched it. So I remember when the trailer came out, there was a lot of buzz. So the trailer first came out, I believe, mm-hmm. in 2019, and people were just losing their minds. It was so <laughs> cool. It was so exciting. It was this jazz. And so that was kind of my first real introduction to this film. And I was really excited and looking forward to it. And then COVID happened along with everything. It ruined everything, essentially. And right. so this movie didn't get to come out and really get its day in the light, if you will, Um So then when the movie did come out, obviously I'm in the know. And so I sat down one night and I started streaming it and I wasn't necessarily 100% paying attention. And that is the problem with these home premieres or just streaming Mm -hmm. things in general is that I tend to multitask, which is not good. And I, I really find myself very distracted and I love the theater experience for that reason, because it forces you to be a good theater citizen and put your phone away and pay attention and actually watch the darn movie. So about 12 minutes in, they get to that scene with the great before. And I see these Picasso like characters and it's just really wacky. And it's very much a juxtaposition from the very beginning of the film where it's, it's Mm -hmm. more realistic and it's the real world and things we're familiar with. And then there's just kind of like this out there unknown world. And I'm like, I can't do this right now, literally. And I turned it off. I was like, this is so weird for me. (laughs) I I honestly thought the whole movie was just going to be in that world. And I'm like, I I don't want to do this. And yet all these people at the same time were raving about it. So amazing. It's so amazing. It's so amazing. And I, I just had that first, that first glimpse of me not really paying attention. So not really knowing what was going on and then kind of hitting that and, and being confused. So I finally saw it this week and I am so, so happy that I pushed through, that I put my phone away and I watched the thing because it is so good. It was quite good. Yeah. I, I enjoyed, oh, well, I'll have to be honest though, like five minutes in and I've already been triggered like five times <laughs> just because oh, no. he's, <laughs> there's a lot of little moments that I was just like, oh gosh, I can't, oh gosh, like the starting of the movie, the castle opening <laughs> Sounded like a really depressing, like New Year's Eve noisemaker <laughs> band. It was just, it was, sounded so bad. Like, what the heck is this? And then it goes right into him as being the, you know, middle school band teacher. And like, once again, I, I, if you are a middle school band teacher out there, hat off to you. Like, you go through so much crap just because. Wow, <laughs> your ears have to be just blown out and like if you especially if you really like music, <laughs> I feel like <laughs> being a middle school band teacher would make you not like music <laughs> just because it's like beginners, everybody's a beginner and it's like yeah, you get the the thrill of seeing them be better but it still sounds terrible especially if you like really like music. So, mm-hmm. anyway, those are like some of the first things. <laughs> right. So, it's really funny you mentioned that really sad, pathetic band version of the Pixar theme (laughs) and like the Disney Disney castle theme. It's hilarious. And it really gets your attention at the very beginning. And so I hats off to that because they have done variations of that theme based on like the music and the score and the style of the film. But that one really gets your attention. Like what's happening Mm -hmm. here. And then you see, oh, it's a it's a school band. Oh, it's a middle school band. Okay. They're just learning. And this being the music nerd here, I really wanted to know how the studio musicians were directed to do that scene specifically. Like 
I'm wondering, were they intentionally given music with all of these wrong notes and say, play this? Or did the conductor just say, hey, play off key and horrible as if you were a fifth grader? I mean, that's probably what they did. <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, I, I just don't see them doing it any other way. Yeah. So studio, the musicians are actually fascinating. So this is a tangent time that I want to go into. I love this tangent time. We barely started and we're already going on a tangent time. So cue the music. So studio musicians are amazing. They are incredible. They are the best sight readers in the world because what happens for all of these studio musicians, they either live in LA or London, you know, for the London symphony orchestra sort of thing, but typically in LA for the movie studios and they don't get the music ahead of time. They appear on their recording day. And typically it's a few days, right? It's not just one day to get through the score, but They're given the music that day. They can warm up. They can practice a few things here and there, but then off they go with the conductor. And it is just fascinating. They are so incredibly gifted at their craft that they don't need to practice. Like even professional orchestras, you know, the highest level, the New York Philharmonic, for example, I mean, they rehearse and they practice, but these guys are just another level as far as sight reading goes. And Mm -hmm. sometimes they'll go through it and the first take is great. And that's what they'll use in the final film. Other times they'll go through it and they'll do multiple takes, right? Like any recording artist, but at the same time, Mm -hmm. they don't get the music ahead of time. I cannot emphasize that enough. And I have a really good discussion about this that I'll include in the show notes if you're interested more in this topic, but it kind of goes along with the theme of this film of just being like a master and a very passionate about what you're doing, specifically music related. Well, and as many of our listeners will know, I am a professional musician as well, but I do, I'm a singer, I'm a singer, songwriter, and I am capable of playing guitar, but I would never, ever in my lifetime call myself a guitar player because I've lived in Nashville. I've been, I've been to LA and I've been with actual guitar players. (laughs) And it's like, it is just, I'm like not even going to even put myself close to that realm because I respect their, their work and their artistry and just their, their dedication to that instrument so much. Um, so I, yes, if I am recording something, I'll generally send out to different people. And there's this guy I have often used who lives out in Nashville and he's recorded on some of the best like country music albums, but he can literally play anything. And, um, so studio musicians, that's what they do. That's what they live for. (laughs) And so Mm -hmm. it's just insane what they're capable of doing. And, uh, it's just, I, I love them for it. They're amazing. Mm -hmm. And what's also interesting. So there's a point in time where the other part that really like triggered me was when he was going in and his old student was like oh yeah man i got a gig if you want to come do it or whatever and they're like oh cool so he comes in and he's like oh man that must have been really bad when your other friend just decided to skip town he's like oh yeah man and it's like i've had moments like that where i've had a band that (sighs) you know you have random musicians just being like peace out i'm going on this random thing for this week and not tell you until like the week prior so Mm -hmm. Yeah, there was this uh, one specific moment that I was like, oh, my gosh, that was a nightmare. <laughs> right. So anyway, 
Um, yeah, like I said, five minutes in and I've been triggered at least five minutes, five times <laughs> so, for different things. Oh. And it's like all connected to the music thing. And then there's the moment where everybody is trying to say you need to get a, a full time job. And they're like, oh, full time. And you, in his eyes, you can just see how he just died inside to say <laughs> I have a full time job. And I was like, I hear you, man. I, I feel that. I feel you. <laughs> it's not for everyone, you know, and it's so funny because the principal comes to him. She's like benefits, health insurance, pension. You know, these are all the things that are, are what, what people want in their life where some people it's like the pinnacle and that's what his mom wants for him. And that's what we'll yeah. talk about a little bit later, but that's one of the big things is she doesn't want her son to be a struggling musician, like the father. And we don't learn that until a little bit later that the father was kind of, uh, wasn't kind of, he was a musician and struggled and struggled. And she just really doesn't want that for her son. And this, it, it sets the stage because he's a really interesting point in his life. He's middle-aged He's the band teacher, which again, no shame to band teachers as if what you're doing, what but for him, middle age mean, you know, <laughs> I just say 40, 40 and up. <laughs> okay. Um. I say like, uh, me being in my thirties, obviously like I don't want to lump myself into that middle age category. So of course I'm going to bump it, but they say right. over the hill, right? Like middle age. So I always just assume middle age was kind of like forties, 40 to sixties. 40 to 60, that's like the middle. And then 60 plus is like, you're, you're entering old slash old. <laughs> I mean, you're only as old as you feel. So mm -hmm. it just sets him up. He's a, he's a different character. He's a unique character. I thought this film was very rich as far as the setting and the characters and the voice actors. It's set in New York city, uh, I believe Queens and it's primarily black characters and the neighborhood surrounding Joe, mm -hmm. Joe Garner. And, you know, the cast likewise is black. And I just thought it was actually really refreshing and interesting to see like this setting of like we've seen yeah. films in New York City before, but not necessarily this part of New York and this character. And, you know, I think of one of the scenes that really stood out was the barbershop. And that is a really, uh, you know, the, the neighborhood barbershop in any community, but especially the black community is, you know, a, a big part. And yeah. I just thought it was really cool how we were able, you know, I've heard some people describe th this middle section of the film as just like filler filler until we get to the, the end. But I thought that was one of the most important parts that stood out to me was the relationship that he had with his barber and how he thought he had this relationship with him. And by kind of this existential <laughs> being in a cat instead of his own body, he was able to see how he had, how his relationships with other people were and, and had a new take on life and a new look viewed at it from a different lens, I guess. And he says to the barber, wow, I, I didn't know any of those things about your life. And he said, well, you've never asked. And it was funny because once they were going into that scene, he says, oh, we talk about jazz all the time. And he just yeah. thinks it's the greatest thing because he's very much in his own world, his own element, all about me, 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 and what I love, which is jazz. And mm -hmm. just through switching bodies, essentially, he was able to see how to relate to other people in ways that don't necessarily have to be jazz. But anyway, uh, this just, it kind of was a shame, honestly, what happened with the pandemic and that this film did not necessarily get its true worldwide release and the attention mm -hmm. that it deserved to highlight these black characters in this story because it was so... No, it was simple and very, very deep themes. And I just would have loved to have seen this get more attention um, as it should mm -hmm. have in the summer of 2020. But, you know, it is what it is. But I'm glad that 
so many billions of minutes have been viewed on Disney Plus. <laughs> yeah. I I lived in Spanish Harlem for a little bit, like when I was like 19. And it was it was always a, a fun time to just like see how every neighborhood is its own thing. And if you like even move over two streets, you know, you're gonna get a different a different crowd and it's a different everything just is different. Um so I appreciated seeing a lot of that. And I was just like, oh, man, I miss New York. It was a good time. Or at least I miss being 19 in New York. <laughs> that was a good time. <laughs> yeah. So we've talked a bit about Joe and him. I thought he was a really great character. And comparing him to Raya, you know, just because those are the two most recent films that we have reviewed. Mm-hmm. He's so much deeper. And there's mm-hmm. even though he's yes. like simple, you know, he's just living the simple life where he has big dreams. But life really hasn't panned out the way that he wanted to yet. He hasn't had his big break. There, I felt like I knew him so much more than I knew Raya. Raya really oh, yeah. was quite bland. Um, obviously she was super motivated to save the world, to get her father back and all of those things. And, and she was funny, but like looking back, there's just a very stark contrast between the personalities and you don't have to be like this big over the top personality. I don't think Joe necessarily was that he just was interesting. He had a lot going on and he had a lot of depth to his character. Yeah. And and like I said, when you went that first moment where they say, hey, congrats, you just got a full time job. And it's like you can already see into his thoughts at that point. And like you can see kind of his little crisis that he's having. Mm-hmm. This is like two minutes in and you're like, I get you. OK. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, while Raya was like, mm, I don't feel like I got Raya. Yeah. <laughs> the teaching gig was just supposed to be that a gig. It was supposed to be a temp thing and it ended up being his thing for who knows how long he'd been doing this, obviously a long enough where one of his students ended up, you know, growing up and then being in a band and becoming an adult. Like this was not just a gig that was a gig, which that's messed up for that school. I'm sorry. How long has he been a part-time band teacher? I mean, I guess it might've been budget issues where they weren't able to get the budget for full-time band teacher, but man, but there's also like him not wanting to be full-time too. Right. Yeah, that's true because he kept doing all these gigs on the side. So he wasn't making himself available. Right. Which those gigs all happen at night. So I don't know. I know. That's, <laughs> I, well, and that was the other thing. It's like, okay, why would the mom be upset with him going for another gig if it's in town and it's at <laughs> right. night? And it's yeah. like, it's like he's going doing to something a movie. with his life. It's not like he's, <laughs> no, he's just sitting around playing video games. Like he's actually creating something in the world. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's, alternate things happening and it's even more money too right yeah (laughs) she's projecting that's one thing that we see with her and this very much reminds me of another pixar film which is coco where Mm -hmm. the 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 sins of the parents if you will i I can't really think of the word per se but but yes (laughs) the struggles of the parents with the arts and also music uh and and that didn't go very well then the parent or the parent who was involved with that parent uh, does not want that to happen to their children. So they're projecting those negative emotions about that musical experience onto the children and not wanting their children to follow in the footsteps of the father. Like, why is it always music? Why is it always the singers and the the musicians that are just like (laughs) our go-to? I mean, here's the thing, like in my own family too, like, this is my family has literally been doing this as a profession my entire life. So like one time I had an aunt who was just like, oh, well, yeah, you can't really make money with music. And I'm like, 
did you like watch how we grew up at all? Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like what? Um, yeah. So it was just, it, uh, you have to do it in different ways and there's got to be other aspects to it um, other than just for the arts, you know, or just for the, the love of the song, you know, you can't, it's got to be, you know, service oriented in some way, but yeah, it's just funny how that is definitely a, it's a, a stigma that's yeah. hard to, hard to get over. Cause it's not steady. Yeah. It's, it's true. It's, uh, it's like, it's with the pension thing. You know, there's, if you've read the book by Robert Kiyosaki, rich dad, poor dad, it kind of talks about the two different lifestyles. There's the entrepreneur who is making their own way, forging their own path. And it's the untraditional, unconventional path. Yeah. Whereas there's the traditional way that society really kind of pushes people into, which is the nine to five, the pension, the retirement plan, which everyone should have a retirement plan, whether you're an entrepreneur entrepreneur or not. Absolutely. Please yes. get on that. That's not, <laughs> um, you know, but the, the, the steady job with benefits and health insurance and like a set paycheck versus the unknown, right? It's versus the secure right. and the known versus the unknown and the uh, insecure. So that's, that's yeah. kind of what he's, he's dabbling with. He has himself who's going for the one thing and his mom who wants him to do something else. And it's not like he's getting any younger and she's yeah. struggling with that. She's not getting any younger. Right. Here's one question. Why did it take him so long to get a new suit from his mom? <laughs> well, his I think it was bad. Like, can we just say that? Like first his ground suit was just bad. <laughs> yeah. And his mom, I feel like that of all the things to be upset about as a tailor, the mother should have been way more worried about his pre presentation than uh, a lot of the how hard would it have been life. to for her to make him a nice suit it doesn't even have to be the dad suit it could just be a nice suit come I on know. mom that's I mean, and that just kind of goes to show that maybe she just really was unsupportive she wasn't even going to make him a suit so he could look nice for these gigs the cobbler's children have no shoes yes <laughs> yeah so they have a really interesting discussion where you know, she's against it, against it, against it. And I understand why they have to make these conversations and these change of heart very quick in movies. Cause we only have so much time, but it's really, yeah. they're in that room and they have this conversation and within a few minutes and them actually talking it out, she accepts him for who he is and then says, ah, I bestow thee your father's suit, which is, she's been holding on to it. It was his father's performance suit and it's a very snazzy suit it looks great mm -hmm. the color is amazing and he's so excited to get it but um she really turns on a dime which is also a trope in animated movies or just any movie that yeah. i it's the forky situation where forky <laughs> has this existential crisis of wanting to be trash and then just with one quick conversation with woody it's like oh cool I'm, yes i'm cool i'm coming home with you i'm not gonna throw myself in the trash can anymore i've accepted and i've yeah i've changed because the plot here we go <laughs> the plot needs it <laughs> the plot needs it <laughs> so very quickly he dies yeah, yeah just falls down a manhole and that's it sorry bud but well actually it's several different moments where he's like he should have died like multiple mm -hmm. times along this in this last like five minute or you know this little walk from here to there and then the manhole gets him mm-hmm so he heads to this place, which is basically this conveyor belt that leads people to the great beyond. And he absolutely does not want to be a part of this. And he's uh, frantically trying to get away. And everyone else has just kind of accepted their fate. I'm assuming all these other people have died at the same time. Right. And yeah. there's millions of people on the planet. Billions, actually. There's and there's probably six year old. 
Right. And, and, uh, she's like so excited. She's been waiting. So she's can't wait to see what's the, the great beyond. Um, I just thought it was really interesting that no one else was seeming to having this crisis that he was, um, you know, everyone seems to have accepted their death, but I feel like people who have died traumatic deaths or sudden deaths or unresolved things, you know, w- through death would also be running the other way. But again, the plot. So he's the only one who's struggling with this and is able to somehow enter the great before. <laughs> well, because he went the wrong way because everyone's right. like, oh, you're not supposed to go that way. And so well, he just he jumped off. The- they're basically on the rainbow road <laughs> and uh-huh, he jumps right. off the rainbow, the rainbow road bridge. and he's able to get to the great beyond great before. All right. So he's going into the great before where he meets miss 22 or mister who knows it's she's they're just using their, that voice because apparently it is the most annoying, which it's middle-aged nice white woman. <laughs> <laughs> Why do you sound like a middle-aged white woman? <laughs> oh, that's funny. I didn't recognize that it was uh, Tina Fey at first. I it, didn't at all. Even, and I didn't recognize that it was Jamie Foxx as Joe. Uh, yeah. I don't know. I, was just, I guess I was just really into the characters and into the story this time around, not the first time around. Um, right. So it took, I had to actually look up who this was. And then obviously once you know who it is, you're like, oh, well, you cannot hear it. But uh, yeah. I think that was good for her because she was kind of, the, the character of, of Tina Fey of 22 is sort of this baby character it's it's these little souls if you will before they enter the world and and they're just little fledglings and they're gaining little bits and pieces of their personality before they send them on their way to earth and 22 every soul has a number and they are in the billions upon billions at this point so the fact that 22 is still around she's one of the og souls Mm. and she has yet to come to earth is a big deal and that's kind of her thing is that she just can't commit she doesn't know what her purpose is or her spark if you will and the old um, soul tina yeah so joe is trying to help her figure it out but really selfishly just because he wants her to get her earth badge essentially well (laughs) earth badge is a thing in pokemon but not that type of earth badge (laughs) and she he needs an earth badge so he can get back to earth and it's just like you know he his body clearly left his his soul clearly left his body and then he came back but the way that they present this they just make it seem like it's such a unique special situation that he was allowed this chance back to go you know to go back at the end and um I feel like this would happen a lot. I feel like there's a lot of people in comas or a lot of people that actually flatline and die who are brought back later. And there's lots of stories of people who have seen the great beyond and they tell their stories of it. And, but again, the plot. So it's a very, very (laughs) special, unique situation that one dot, you know, one little bead is missing. And so he has to do everything he can to, uh, to get back, which I get, you know, he, he, he hadn't yet fulfilled his purpose or, or his purpose that he had been going toward up until that point. He didn't see yeah. the value. He, and, and that's what the whole, the whole movie really is about is it's, it's just living life and enjoying life now, like live your life, enjoy every moment as if it's your last, enjoy the leaves on the tree and the wind in your hair and all those things, you know, not looking, obviously you need to have goals and you need to be striving for something that really does spark you up and, and light you up, but don't, let that distract you from enjoying the things that you have now. Yeah. I felt like that was a, a, a big theme in it. Um, including, um, the power of like, like disconnection in any way is akin to self absorption. 
Mm-hmm. So the fact that he was so self-absorbed throughout his life saying, I'm going to be, I'm going for this goal and this goal is my thing. This is my life. This is my purpose. Um, he's a little bit disconnected from life. He's a little bit disconnected from people. And she, in the same way, is so self-absorbed with, I need that purpose. I need to figure out, I need to overcome all of these possible things that are, uh, I've check off every box. I have to do all of these things that you're end up being a little bit disconnected from the people around you, mm-hmm. um, or even just living life. And, um, so I think there's a really good balance that it kind of tried to touch on, um, mm-hmm. being able to have all of those things happen, but also recognize that they're just things happening as opposed to purpose of living. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So it's really nice to pair both of them together because they're kind of struggling with the same thing in different ways. Yes. Like I felt like looking at them, they both were kind of those lost souls when they go into the lost soul like realm. That was creepy. <laughs> it was super creepy. Yeah. You had those that were zenning or in the zone are kind of in their own thing. Yes. In their state of flow. <laughs> yes. <laughs> But in some way, they're both disconnected from Earth or from life, which I felt like was an interesting way to look at things. I personally wouldn't have said that, but I mean, I guess I can see definitely how that is true. Yeah, I really kind of I really did like the visual representation of that like higher state that you're in when you're really in your element and doing something. Mm -hmm. And it was just I liked when they first showed him where he was riffing on the piano and he really was going off. And there was these beautiful colors that surround him and the background completely dissolves. It really reminded me in Ratatouille when Remy is cooking and the visual elements yeah. um, when he's imagining the smells and how the two things pair together. Pixar really does a great job of sort of visualizing the abstract, the abstract in a way. Yeah. And I, I loved, I loved the, the, the use of colors in this film, you know, whether they're in the kind of, I'm just call it the dream world, you know, the, the great beyond the great before <laughs> it, it's these pastel like ethereal colors, very light and airy. And then the real world, I, another scene that I absolutely loved is when he's running out of the hospital and it's mm-hmm. 22 as him and he runs out the door and it's just this harsh sunlight and yeah. in filmmaking and photography, you would never, ever shoot something midday with bright sunshine. Like you're always using you know, shade or diffuse light or something to kind of block the light to, to even it out. So it's a softer light. You never really see that in film. Yeah. Even if you're in theory supposed, they're supposed to be standing in the daylight sun. They don't actually film in the daylight sun. There's always a big shade over them or whatnot. Yeah. Um, except for extreme circumstances when you really want that contrast to be there. And this was one of those instances because 22 had lived such a sheltered non-life essentially She's thrown into the world and this is what the world is. It's harsh. It's sunny. It's bright. It's loud. It's noisy. It's smelly. All of these senses all at once. She's really being overwhelmed with, especially with a body that she's still getting used to on, on how to use that. So that was one of my favorite scenes. Absolutely. Just how they, how they were able to visualize that. Yeah. And the, you know, hiding in the quarter in a fetal position. It's like, yeah, <laughs> it happens. <I> like, <laughs> it happens. Yeah, I get it. <laughs> so let's go back to the jazz club really quickly. I thought an interesting character was this Dorothea Williams, who's basically a diva. And I like it. 
And <laughs> I never realized that the saxophonists were the equivalent of the singer in a rock band, AKA the star, uh-huh, <laughs> I guess in yeah. a, a jazz quartet or a jazz band, I guess I never really figured who would be like the lead instrument or the, you know, it's always, but they all kind of do their own thing. They all in a jazz band, I guess the saxophone, I would, I would think piano and then maybe one of the, the brass instruments, but then you see the bassist who's just going at it and they have their solo mm-hmm. sometimes. And you're like, man, everyone here is, is banging. <laughs> yes. But yeah, I, I, they had to kind of show who was the leader of the group and who ultimately was the one who was making the decisions. And I liked her. She was large and in charge and, you know, she created a bit of a point of friction because she had the friend or the former student had given him this big break where they needed a pianist and she had to give the, the, the yes or no. And he thinks that he ruins it by getting too much in the groove during this piano solo and everyone's staring at him slack jawed. And then she's like, I like him. And she keeps him. But there's multiple times where he's thinking that he's going to lose his job because she just, she can cut him on a moment's notice because she is the star. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. People who are into jazz are really their own breed. And, and I mean this in like, as someone who's worked with a lot of musicians, it's like, there's a lot, most people when you talk, uh, especially in pop, you know, like in the pop world or country world, you're talking about songs that are going to be either in major or minor keys and major is like pop minor is sad. Um, or, you know, you have some type of rocks, rock songs that are in the minor keys, but so people who are into jazz, they love talking about all of the auxiliary types of scales. Like they love and they love talking about the differences between like Dorian or the Mixolydian scales and all of these different types of scales, which like <laughs> intertwine different types of patterns through music. And they're talking about major or minor. They love even more to talk about, well, how I can how can I transition this into Dorian or Mixolydian or all these different things? And it's like you they start getting into this into these conversations that are just so beyond me that I'm like wow, you guys are really smart. <laughs> You're better than I am. I, I kind of see it as a little bit on, on their personalities too. Generally speaking, you're going to be looking at somebody who's really into jazz. They are the person that you can't really pin down into norms. Like mm-hmm. they're always going to be the thinker that's off overthinking about something really deep. One of my friends, he's, he's also like, he's basically has like two doctorate degrees in math and also decided to decided to, he was like, yeah, now I'm going to go and, and learn how to code. And I'm going to learn how to do all these things just because I want to have the ethereal knowledge of this. And mm-hmm. like, that's kind of like what jazz musicians are for me. <laughs> it's like, you just <laughs> love learning for the sake of learning, but it's like, you also just, you can't put them in, into a box. They will always mm-hmm. want to get out of that box in a very yes. thought provoking way. Yeah. Chelsea had one of our friends who was a jazz pianist basically work for them on their show at the rock and our ranch. Uh-huh. And he, he didn't last very long because he kept wanting no. to jazz it up and he wouldn't stay on a number. <laughs> he wouldn't, you know, stick to the beat and jazz. It's all about riffing and, you know, making, making it your own, but that does not work in a country Western setting. Well, especially when my dad is the, is the main guy. Cause like <laughs> my dad's not a jazz guy. And so yeah. he's it's, and, and when you're dealing with specific types of genres you're 
mixing it up into the jazz side. It's like stop right. it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah. Oh, those are good times. <laughs> good times. <laughs> so what's interesting is that this film, there's no real villain. Yeah. Like maybe you consider Terry the bean counter guy, but he was really just there to create some tension to kind of get the plot moving. And there really, really, there were two things that were driving this, the narrative to one point. And it was Joe needing to get back to his body by 7 p.m. So that way he could do his life work. And this yeah. is the pinnacle of his life, even though he's died. Like I still need to get back so I can do the thing that I didn't do in my life. Right. And then at the same time, they have this guy who's just kind of in the background and never really interacts with them, but he's more creating tension for the viewer, knowing that this guy could ruin it all if he catches them. Yeah. So that's really it. And then they did have the, the lost souls for a second. You're like, Ooh, what's this scary, like very uh, ominous design, you know, maybe something would come with that, but that never really turned into anything other than maybe other than 22 essentially becoming a lost soul and having to save her. Um, so yeah, you know, not every movie needs to have a villain. And this absolutely is a great example of that. The the villain is yourself essentially. And in Joe, um, it's just a coming, he's coming to terms with who he is. He's learning, he's growing. And it was, it was really good. I personally, as beautiful as the great before was, the best parts of the movie for me were in the real world. Mm -hmm. I didn't love, you know, this, this outer plane sort of world. I liked gritty New York city. I liked the people. I liked the characters. I loved that. And it was a shame that we kind of had to, I don't know how else they would have done this because they needed to have these two, like as a duo together with 22 and Joe, but by having Joe be the cat, um, it was a way for him to see outside of himself and to see a different perspective. But like, I really loved Joe. I just wanted a little bit more of Joe, which we do get. We do get a ton of Joe because anytime that's like Tina Fey or 22 is speaking as Joe, they'll show, you know, Jamie Foxx's voice. You mm -hmm. know, this is how it's coming off. And anytime that he's talking, it's just a meow. You know, that was funny. But uh, the best parts of the film were New York City for me and actually Joe's life, which, you know, you would think based on everything that we've been presented is that it, it's just like a boring life. It's a nothing life. And that's not true. He's the, yeah. he's so interesting. He's so, I want to know more about this guy and you do not have to do amazing, great things to have led a life worth living. Yeah. You know, that's one of the kind of the takeaways that I had is that your life is worth living and what you are doing matters and you matter. I, yeah. And yes, you can still, you can still have goals and you can still strive for things, but don't let the fact if you haven't achieved those discredit discourage you and think that your life was a waste because absolutely it's not. Yeah. There's a, there's a quote from Mr. Rogers, Fred Rogers, uh, where he says, you don't have to do anything sensational for people to love you. Mm -hmm. I've always loved that quote. And it kind of had that same vibe with this. Uh, you know, you don't have to have accomplished all the things on your, on your checklist to be worthy of a good life and worthy mm -hmm. of happiness in the life that you live. Yeah, absolutely. So one thing about the animation style in this movie, in this movie is I think just in general with, with Pixar, I almost feel like they've gotten too good as far as like, <laughs> yes, too lifelike in some areas, because there's moments where it looks too real. 
it's so photo real. And then you have these cartoony characters yeah. that are placed into it that don't quite fit. Yeah. I noticed the same thing when, when Joe was playing the piano, the piano just had all these scuffs and nicks and beautiful wood. And then Joe, you know, he's a, he's kind of a caricature. He's a little yeah. bit more of that Pixar style versus a, out a, and... a real person, if you will. Yeah. So, um, there are yeah, a lot you of especially moments. see that in the Toy Story films mm, where gosh. the Toy Story characters are very much cartoony dolls, yeah. toys. And then, uh, you know, that opening scene of Toy Story 4, specifically with the rain that just looks like you, you're standing there. Yeah. So they're, they're good. They're good. But I mean, there's there's too good. There's one moment where they're at the hospital. And there, it's just a, an angle that it looked so photo real that when it went back to him, I, it was jarring because my, you know, where you, you, su you suspend disbelief because mm -hmm. like I said, I, I almost feel like it's a little too good because it still needs to look like it's in the same world because sometimes yes. there were, it felt like it was too photo real versus cartoony and it, mm -hmm. it, it was jarring at certain times. Um, another thing I noticed, another thing I, I thought was funny is like, as you're going through 22, like her, what is her spark? She's a hoarder. <laughs> <laughs> and you notice this like at back in the, in the before too, like she's got a, this is just a box, um, box entrance to her little hideaway that has little things from everywhere. I'm like, why didn't we just like look around in here? Like as far as what you like and what you're, Instead of the right. everything, like you've obviously collected the things that you like, like you shouldn't have to look that hard. <laughs> I thought the character of Moonwind was really funny. Yes. And basically I was confused a bit. Moonwind and all these other people who get into this flow state where they essentially transcend earth and they're able to go to the great before they're, they're able to go into this certain area, but most people are just so involved in themselves in this flow state that they're in, that they don't necessarily recognize it uh -huh. except for a few people who do like Moonwind and he's just hanging here flipping signs in New York city and he <laughs> has the key to entering this other, the world before. It's just <laughs> hilarious. <laughs> and of course, it's the kooky wackos, oh, right, you know, right. the most likely smoking Mary Jane on the side of the street <laughs> type of folks that are the people who really have the key and to the to these portals. Uh, to these portals. Where he's like, well, what time? It, like, well, when the moon opens into this portion of the life and, and he's like, OK, but what time is that? Well, the government says that's going to be six o'clock. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's interesting. This film really only takes the course of a day. As I was looking at the color script for the film in the art book, which I'll include a link in the show notes if you want to check that out and purchase it because it's a really good one. But basically the color script, the color is where they take go scene by scene what high level, if you were to zoom out on all the frames and squish them together, every frame of the film, like what would the colors look like? And they're really cool. And um, on this one, they actually put the time when each of those different sequences were happening. So it's like 1130 band practice, 12, 130. And so you can see this really didn't take more than 24 hours. If that it mm -hmm. happened very quickly, you know, I think the biggest part was him dying and then being transported to the hospital. And, you know, during that period, he's in the great unknown for a good chunk of the time. I keep saying the great unknown, the great before, like, excuse me, if I keep saying so this wrong, greats. because I will the great before. Yes. The great 
something. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> okay, that part when he's talking to he's talking to the trombonist and she just they start like quoting Orwell and whatnot, like, oh, because <laughs> when Orwell was talking to me, <laughs> like, so 22 has been like mentored by every like philosopher known yes. out there. And so she, she's like, oh, when Orwell was talking about schools just being like a stick being shaken out of the thing, and the girl's like, I, I know, I think about that all the time. And I'm like, I, lo- I oh love my that moment where they were really able to connect, you know, this the trombonist Connie. She connected with the teacher and she really came to him in that moment, wanting him to say, her to say, oh, I'm going to quit. But she just wanted affirmation that, no, you're amazing. Don't quit. You know, and and, uh, 22 doesn't give her what she wants. (laughs) It's like, yeah, you should you should quit here. Let me take this. And she takes it back and they just have this great discussion. And then she plays and and then ultimately they they bond and she realizes that this is what she wants to do. And I thought that was a really great moment. And it's cool to see 22 who was just so afraid of really finding her spark and really come. She was afraid of committing yeah, and like transitioning to the next phase of life because there's always phases in life. One phase ends and another begins and Mm -hmm. that you're going to have multiple of those during your life. And Obviously, with this one, there's like the pre-life and life and post-life. But for her to see her actually in life doing it, and she's doing a great job, and yeah. she's really she's in the enjoying chair. herself. <laughs> yes, <laughs> it was awesome. So there were lots of moments in this film that reminded me of other things. At this point, there's been all sorts of books and movies and animated films. So of course, you know you're going to get the references to other things. But here's the list that I came up with of what this film. Reminded me of different elements. Gotta start off with all dogs go to heaven. You know, you a character dying and essentially back. coming back. You can yes. never <laughs> come back. <laughs> yep. The next one I thought of was a little bit, a little dash of onward, essentially where you're searching for this thing, all these things that I'm going to do with my dad once my dad comes back. And it turns out you were doing them all along. You yeah, already, you, yeah, you got yeah. to run in the field with your dad, you know, with Joe, he was doing this living a life the entire time. He just needed to enjoy it a little more. Obviously Ratatouille with the very cool visual elements, uh, Coco with the, the musical parent. And then the next generation is forbidden from doing that thing essentially, or it's very much looked down upon of course. So yeah, those were kind of the main ones, all of them Pixar coincidentally enough, except for good old Don Bluth with all dogs go to heaven. <laughs> See, like, for me, I have a movie called Saturday's Warrior that comes to my mind. And then there's another one, Failure to Launch, which just really reminded me of both of the main characters. So, like, they're both mm-hmm. failure to jump forward to whatever is next in their life. Um, uh-huh. So, yeah, those are the two that came to my mind. <laughs> nice. So kind of going into the different themes of this film There were so, so many. Mm -hmm. This movie made me think, and I loved it for that reason, because as it was going different scenes, I was just kind of pondering life, if if you will, Mm -hmm. (laughs) and different things that were happening. And I think there's just a few that really stood out to me, but expectations of parents, Mm -hmm. how we really try to please our parents and want to do, you know, make our parents proud, but sometimes our parents aren't necessarily loving what we're doing for life or, you know, want better than what we're doing. So there's definitely that we, we see that with the mom. And I thought that was an interesting element that they, they added to his journey mm-hmm. because it really conflicted with what he wanted to do with his life. Um, 
Likewise, parents projecting their failures onto the children Mm -hmm. or projecting their own belief system onto the children. Whereas, you know, music is bad. Music equals not successful. Music equals you will not have a successful, happy life sort of thing. Mm -hmm. That is a a thing. And it's, um, it's definitely real. Yeah. Well, and I also think that the power of crucial confrontations Mm -hmm. and then like just making sure that you have like a good communication, because there was a lot of points in time where uh, 22 was able to have better conversations with the people around him than he was and have these mm-hmm. moments of, uh, especially in that back and forth where he is thinking and saying something that he would never actually say to his mother, but then she doesn't understand <laughs> that. And so she just says it and he's like, no, you weren't supposed to actually say that uh-huh. when actually that was the best thing. Cause he, and he was like, no, we need to have, this is a conversation we need to have. And uh, those are those are very difficult and very important to make sure that the communication uh-huh. is still those are huge parts of life. Right. It was a turning point. Yeah. In in all of those relationships. Uh-huh. And like I mentioned earlier, uh the disconnection is kin to self-absorption. Um so it's like mm-hmm. just make sure that you're like able to have be on both lines, I guess. Yeah, you don't want to be on the extremes of the spectrum connection is the most important Mm -hmm. with other people. That's what makes life life, you know? So another, just kind of going through a bullet point list, you know, life is worth living and you don't need to have lived an extraordinary life to truly have lived or to have made a difference. Yeah. Band teachers make a difference in their students. And we saw two instances where he really impacted the lives of a young child. And then someone who went on to do amazing things with their life, you know, to be a drummer in a band. Yeah. His mom may not think that's an amazing life, but (laughs) But, I mean, if you're looking at individuals like that, those are the connections that you hold on to. And Mm -hmm. um, he's, you know, I I feel like there's a lot of things that we don't give ourselves credit for in, in that regard, as far as like making sure that like you, you feel like in order to have that difference or to quote unquote, make it, you know, you, I think I feel like that's one of the problems that a lot of musicians have this, but I think anybody can really fall into this and where they don't really define what it means to quote, make it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they end up, you, you are always trying to get to a certain place. And then when you get there for him, he got there and he's like, well, now I don't feel any different. I thought I would feel a lot better. I thought this would be mm-hmm. like the, the, you know, the, the, um, euphoria euphoria yeah some type of a moment of of you know crying elation uh-huh yeah but it ended up just being like now it's you do it again you come back and you do it next night and you see like from our, our good friend the diva uh dorothea williams you see from her view where she's like this is life like this is me just coming back and doing my thing every time and just wanting to do a good thing and mm-hmm. so i think it's you know, there's a lot of times you look at what does it mean to make it? Well, okay. Ask yourself, what does it look like on day two of making it? And is that really where you want to be? Or is that really what you're looking for when things aren't new anymore? Mm-hmm. I see this a lot too, with like dating situations, <laughs> not just with me, <laughs> but like with a lot of my friends too, where it's like, they, you can see yourself marrying this person. Well, can you see yourself being married to this person? Like, what does day two look like? And that's really <laughs> what it what it comes down to. Like, it's not about the event. 
It's about the everyday life that's going to go in passing with somebody. And even just like with your in the next job you get, you know, like, what does that job look like? You may think it's like great and it probably is great. But even at some point in time, there's going to be a need for um, development along the way. Yeah. And the last theme is just to live, just live your life and Mm -hmm. live it every day, each day. Mm -hmm. As I was doing research there, were some quotes from Pete Doctor, and he said he described soul as an exploration of where should your focus be? What are the things that at the end of the day are really going to be the important things that you look back and go, I spent a worthy amount of my limited time on earth worrying or focused on that. So we don't have that much time here on earth. What is our focus? What is the most important thing? And he was able to really take that 10,000, 10 million foot view yeah. of his life and see, you know, they would go in that room where he puts his hand on the thing and it kind of brings up his life in a way mm-hmm. and it brings the main moments. And it's kind of sad because the person that he was pretending to be was this great child psychologist and had all these big things and won all these awards. And then it goes to his life immediately after. And in comparison, it seems he, he seems like it's a life not worth living and that it's a sad life and he didn't do anything, but it, it was. And I think he was able to kind of through that lens, see that it it was just as important as the other guys. Okay. So going back to that moment, I thought it was really weird that they're like, Oh, she got a degree from the Mexico city university. And it was like, I really don't think heaven or the beginning or the beyond is going to care what your credentials are (laughs) or the fact that it was the Mexico Mm -hmm, City mm -hmm. University as opposed to Harvard versus this school or what, you know, it's like, right. There's yeah. Heaven don't care about your (laughs) the earthly credentials and things that we think are important are not going to matter. Absolutely. If those like psychologists were to actually put pinpoint the moments that meant something to them, would they really be the moments that they're portraying as being like these credentialist (laughs) moments? I don't think so. So that's where I was at. So let's talk about the ending. Very interesting ending. Lots of books and films do this sort of thing before. But what do you think Joe did? What did he choose in his life? When he went back, where did he go? What did he do? I mean, he definitely looked at leaves a lot more. For me, considering throughout the movie, he was teaching and mentoring 22, which was a kind of the younger generation, even though she's super old, um, and the trombonist Connie. Throughout the movie, that's really what he was doing and he was great at. Um, And also the fact that he felt dead inside after finally making it, there Mm -hmm. there was no spark, there was no joy. And this is what he'd been doing his whole, searching for his whole life. I feel like it strongly hints that he went back to teaching. He took the full time job and made a life out of that. But at the same time, that makes me a little sad because you see him in his element doing the jazz thing. So I I want him to do the jazz thing, to be honest. No offense to teachers. Like there's that's definitely a calling, but for him, I don't know. So I think that it's a combination of the two. Like I I don't feel like we live in an either or world. I feel like you're Mm -hmm. able to do both things. Just like I was mentioning before, like 
Most of Once these during gigs, the day, <laughs> these gigs do not really conflict, <laughs> especially as a band teacher. This is a case where you can have your cake and eat it too. Yes, exactly. <laughs> you can have the pension and you can have your name in lights at nighttime. It's all about scheduling your life in the way that it needs to be. For example, as a musician in my life, I had to figure out like all of the, the specific things that I liked about music and all of the things that I wanted to do on day two. As I said before, like, it's like, okay, on the day in, day out, what are the things that I really enjoy doing best? And what are the things that I, I, my soul needs to do? And then what are the mm -hmm. things that I just enjoy doing? And when, if they come around, cool. If not, then I'm not, I don't feel like a real loss. So if you're in that mode, like you can do all the things you just have to plan it. Like you really do have to mm -hmm. just say, okay. I'm writing down all the things and then you put in your big, your big rocks first and then all the smaller rocks will fit in as you go. Mm -hmm. So before we wrap it up, I was kind of thinking about what was missing from the film, if anything. And I do feel that there was a missed opportunity to build more of a relationship with the dad. Like once the dad was introduced a little bit and the fact that he was a pianist and he was into jazz and that's the reason it created this tension with the mother and Joe. I was interested in him. I wanted to know more about that character. You know, did, how did he die? Did he live his life to the fullest? And, you know, how was Joe's relationship with his dad? We get a brief moment here and there about, you know, them sitting next to him, taking him to the jazz club when he was younger. And that's really created that spark. But I feel like we didn't really have a moment in this film that was your typical Pixar I'm not crying, you're crying sort yeah. of moment. Like Pixar can get really emotional and literally tearful. Yeah. But I didn't get that. And I think maybe it could have made it more into the onward territory because yeah. that was already so focused on a relationship with a father. And so, you know, maybe there just wasn't enough time. But I, what I saw of the dad, I was interested and I wanted a little bit more. I think they could have done a little bit more there as in, in the way of um, taking like different things maybe that he said like for example there's the point where he's talking to his mom where he says if i die today i don't want it to be for anything for nothing and it's him having already basically died uh, saying this uh -huh, uh -huh. and if he would have had if they would have had some type of a of a connection i think i feel like she was thinking of her husband who had passed away in that moment yeah and so I think yeah. if we, as the audience, knew a little bit more of maybe how she would see the situation and yep. that make that connection a little bit more in um, in our heads, I think there would have been a lot more tears. I didn't I didn't cry up or tear at all. Um, cry up. I didn't yeah, tear up same. or cry <laughs> uh, in this film. And I think that this movie is one of those. It's a thinker, as Morgan said, and it's not a it's not a the type of thinker that makes you feel like I want to go like, whoa, this blew me away kind of thing. It was just, uh -huh. it was more of a, of an internal meditation thinker. And mm -hmm. those aren't the kind of movies that I necessarily go out and tell all my friends about. I right that are like, Oh, have you seen this? Oh my gosh, it blew me away. But it's definitely, if I'm having a conversation, oh, were you able to see this? It was a really good, you know, that's the kind of conversation I would have with this. So it's kind of like a, it's a slow burn film as far as like how it uh -huh. would end up getting its, if it, if it wasn't done by Pixar, it wouldn't be seen by a majority yeah. of the people that saw it just because it doesn't have that same effect, but it, that doesn't take away from the fact that it was a great movie. 
Yeah. The only other thing is potentially a family relationship for him with, you know, having kids. But what? (laughs) Yes, they hint at it. That's something that he wants in his life. However, I'm glad that they didn't explore that. Yeah. Because, you know, this really does. This is a character for someone who is single and middle aged, if you will. Uh You know, there's not very many stories about people like that. Um, 40 year old virgin. I can think of one. (laughs) Just kidding. (laughs) But it's, it's actually really refreshing and nice because a lot of films, a lot of movies, it's like, this is the end goal is you need to get married. You need to find the love of your life. You need to have kids. And yes, those are really important things. But in this case, I mean, he needed to discover himself and really it's, this was a film about him, not necessarily him finding love in order to find him. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Yeah, for sure. For sure. It's a deep thing. the roto nation question of the episode this is a question that we ask the patrons it's exclusively for them and the question for today's episode was what part of pixar's soul touched your soul the most Eh, eh, eh. Eh, eh. (laughs) i see what you did there yeah you know with mason gone i I gotta try my best you know (laughs) So we had Chad and he said the ending. I love the moment where they gave him a second chance and he honestly appreciated his life and what it meant to and what it meant to just live each day. Such a quote soul touching moment. Winky face. Oh. Love it. And then Joe Sella said the talk between Joe and his mom. Absolutely. That was a really that uh, was one of the high points of the film, that conversation, because it was so important and it was emotional and it really got to the root of the problem between their relationship because their relationship was not perfect, which is great. You know, mm-hmm. well, that's not always the case. So really so much to discuss here. So with that, we're going to take a quick break and then we are going to rate the film. All right, Chelsea, what would you rate Pixar's soul? I give this like a solid four stars. I think the the reason why I wouldn't give it it more is just as I said, it's it's a it's a thinker, like it's a quiet thinker, and so I don't really feel like I'm gonna go back to it anytime, like in the near future. Four out of five, I felt like it had solid lines. Um, I I still wonder like how in the world did the cat get back? Um <laughs> that's still a question I don't understand. But other than that <laughs> and a couple other things maybe, but I I felt like it 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 jumped into a lot of different a lot of different themes that I haven't seen in a lot of movies for a long time if ever. And so I appreciated that and I and I liked it. Give it to Pixar to just show up with a film that is so different. It makes you think it's interesting. It's visually stunning. And 
Overall, I love this film. I love Joe Gardner as the main character. He's deep. He's rich. He has a lot of complexity to him. And the way that they were able to ex- explore this, the, the so many different messages that they're trying to explore during the film, I think they do it really, really well. For the most part, they hit a home run with how they're able to do this with having 22 and him paired together. And the parts that I love the most were the parts where he was in the real world. He was on earth. And I really just think that's a testament that he is interesting. He has a life worth living and he is a great person. Not, and it, and just because you haven't done necessarily great things in your life does not mean that you are not great. I think that's a really important message for a lot of people because I think sometimes we think, do I matter? And that's, and that's where 22 on the flip side, you know, she, she kind of is the other part of that. She hasn't even lived and she's still struggling with, am I, am I even, is it even worth it sort of thing? Um, we didn't really necessarily touch on the depression aspect or whatnot of it, but I could see that being very relatable to people who suffer from anxiety or depression for mm-hmm. sure. Cause she definitely embodies some of those characteristics, but I thought it was really great. I loved the music. We, we didn't really touch on it, but Jazz music is so rich and vibrant and just interesting. And so I love that this was not only focused on a character who is a jazz musician, but as a result, the score is filled with these jazz themes. And the busker, man, he was good. The guy in the subway. (laughs) Yes. He had a great voice. And overall, I just really enjoyed this movie. It made me think. And I appreciated that because I think most movies don't, especially some animated films don't really, they might have one central message, but I just really appreciated this one had so many facets to it. And it, it really made me think and wonder, which is, which is great. That being said, like Chelsea, this isn't a movie that I necessarily want to, or need to come back to. It's sort of like a one-time thing. There's like certain restaurants that you go and they're amazing, but you don't need to go back. And that's what this was. So I'm going to give it four stars. All right, we want to know what you guys thought about this movie. So please go ahead and go to rotoscopers.com slash 200, baby. Just 200, not 200, baby. Anyway, uh, just go <laughs> If you go to 200, baby, maybe we'll have a little Easter egg for you there. <laughs> <laughs> a little Nelson Munz right there. Um, so yeah, go to rotoscopers.com slash 200 and leave us your comments there. You can also check out our Instagram, rotoscopers.com slash Instagram and leave a quote or leave your favorite moment on that uh, post as well. We would love to hear from you in voicemail form. We are doing more voicemails and we're doing the next episode that we have coming up is going to be, well, we have first off, you know, now we're that we're weekly. We do have- whoop, whoop. Uh, several different uh, nerdy couch discussions coming up. So uh, we need to get on with those. So the next ones we have are Black Cauldron and then also Glenn Keane's Over the Moon. So if you have any comments about those, we would love to hear them and I would love to be able to play them in those episodes. So bring it on. Before we go, I want to read one of our five-star reviews. One of the easiest ways that you can support the show is to leave us a review in iTunes or Spotify, but I will be reading one of the five-star reviews. Our goal is to get to 400 reviews. We are around 330 reviews right now. So if you haven't, just go leave us a five-star review. It really does help the show more than you know, especially now that we are coming back from our hiatus. 
This helps us in the algorithm basically to be seen and to help people know that, hey, this is a great show worth checking out. So today's five-star review comes from Hufflepuff Stuff. And good old Hufflepuff stuff says, I love this podcast. In particular, I like the intro music, especially of the older episodes. What makes me really happy is the variety of studios and types of animation covered. So yes, speaking of our old music, that was something that is definitely an Easter egg. And we stopped using that because technically we never had the rights to use it. And I just didn't ever want this person from this CD that I found (laughs) that track on just to like come and sue us. And so we ended up getting our own music. But that music is from an album called Ragtime at the Magic Kingdom. Speaking of jazz, I mean, Ragtime's kind of jazz, but not really, but it's in that vein, right? And that song is the Cinderella theme from the very beginning of Cinderella. You know, at the beginning of the film, it goes, Cinderella, you're as lovely as your name, Cinderella. You're a sunset in a frame. Most people do not even know that, like, if you could say, list me the songs from Cinderella, that would definitely not be one, the opening number. But that is how you know you are a true animation addict. If you know the main title Cinderella song, (laughs) which was our main title. So I'll include a link in the show notes to that CD so you can check it out. It's also on Spotify, all those good places, but you can check it out there. So yes, thank you so much for your review. And this review comes from username JDS1982. Five stars says, great podcast. Glad they are back. Woo! Together again. It's a great podcast that's fun to listen to, especially for parents who watch these movies with kids. Thank you very much, JDS1982. Glad we are back as well. Thanks again for joining us for this episode of the Animation Addicts podcast. We will see you next week with a nerdy couch discussion. So until next time, we are the Rotoscopers. And look what I have as a special appearance. Ooh. I still get these sometimes from some of the publishers. Was that big? And I feel bad. What? How big is it? No, this is a normal size okay. one. Just the same size as any of them. Um, the art book for Soul. And I kind of feel bad because I we haven't really done those for a long time, but we're still on their list. And, you know, I did reference it when I was preparing for this movie. Oh, so I'm excited. It, a good old art book. You can never go wrong with one of those, you know? Yeah, we still get random people, like, <laughs> sad that we don't do them anymore. <laughs> Like, do you get any of these messages? Because I get several of these messages. What are you talking about? When I get several people. What, you're, what, what are these messages? messages you're, you're being very nondescript. Oh, messages saying that we need to continue doing art book reviews. And mad at us. Oh. Not mad or like disappointed in us because we don't do art book reviews anymore. I'm like, um, okay. <laughs> Have a good day. Yeah. <laughs> if... if I don't know. Maybe I'll do another art book review just because. Throw that in there for good old times' sake. See how many people come back. You're like, oh, they're back. The art books, <laughs> they're back. <laughs> <laughs> oh, subscribe. Hit that notification bell. <laughs> Done. <laughs> uh, well, the problem is here's the other problem with the art books is that when they send them to us, they very. Sp- specifically say do not uh show any images from the book oh and i'm like well that's the cult that's the, the that's you the can only reason. if you need images to show for your review 
please contact us and we'll give you um like we'll give you sorry i dropped something we'll give you approved images to use and i'm like mm, if that's the case i'll just buy the book myself and do my own flip through yeah. and not be held to that like it's because i understand it's copyright but it's not like here's me trying to like wiggle my way out <laughs> of the copyright thing it, it's like such a quick flip through it's just to give you like a tease and a taste of what it's about it's not like you're giving the whole book away with yeah. a flip through well i mean i've gone through and i feel like if i'm if i'm into art books I don't know. We created the book. We created the reviews that if I were wanting to buy this, this is the kind of review I'd like to see. If I was in the bookstore, what would you do? Flip through the book, right? To see like, okay, do I like the art styles? It's the type of, because there are definitely different types of art books for sure. And some books, they're just a lot. Some are a lot more developmental, developmental, <laughs> like visual dev concept mm-hmm. art, like really cool character explorations. And some are just like really cut and dry, pretty boring. Like here's the final version right. of the character. Right. Here's a few sketches. It's like, here's another character. You know, it's, it's nothing special. Yeah. I mean, it, it's like looking at, uh, ones that come straight to my mind are of course, uh, Incredibles. Uh, that one was like, it felt very empty. And then there's the mm-hmm. Anastasia one that I paid a buco bucks for that. I'm like, geez, this is like, I just watched the making up video, like literally just <laughs> out. Uh, I was disappointed in that, but I still want Don to sign it. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, for sure. Hey. You need to, Hey, they're opening up the theater again. Know. Now let's go into the main event. Yay. The, let's go. To the show, to the theater, the jazz room. <laughs> uh, get those snaps together, man. Hey, man. Now to the existential crisis that is life. Ha he ho. Too late to be known as John the First. He's sure to be known as John the Worst. All right. Insert insert jazz music here. Insert jazz music here. <gasps> That's tight. <laughs> <laughs> the tight references are so bad sometimes. They're so funny. Oh my gosh. Oh, okay. Terrible references are tight. <laughs> so very quickly he dies. I'm sorry. <laughs> All right, before we rate this film, we are going to ask our patrons. I'm so sorry. <laughs> sorry. Before before we rate the film, we are going to... How do I say this? What on earth, Morgan? Can you not say this 17 times? Okay. You've been listening to the Animation Addicts podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe and be sure to leave us a five-star review. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you want to help spread the word, be sure to share the podcast with your friends on social media. Just don't forget to tag us at Rotoscopers on Instagram and use the hashtag Animation Addicts. For all the links and full show notes for this episode, go to rotoscopers.com slash podcast. Now, if you still can't get enough for your animation fix, be sure to subscribe to us on YouTube and visit rotoscopers.com for more animation news, reviews, and 